Hello and welcome to The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. My name is Taryn Hayes and today we'll be catching up with an extraordinary woman, Karen Nelson. In this episode, Karen shares with us the work she's doing amongst young women in disadvantaged areas in Cape Town in South Africa. She shares also about how you can be involved, even if you're listening to this podcast from across the ocean. One way to connect is via Facebook, and for this reason, I'd really like to highlight the Lydia Project's Facebook page. You can find it at, at TLPCWCW, and there you'll find more links to Karen's ICU organization, as well as their Facebook page. And you'll also find links to previous episodes of the Lydia Project. You'll find news, reviews, photographs, and, and many more things. If you would like to leave a review or ask a question, please feel free to do just that. In the meantime, here is our next episode. Hello, Lydia listeners. We are back in sunny South Africa today I'm with myself, Taryn Hayes, as your host, and our new guest, the gracious and warm Karen Nelson. Welcome to the Lydia Project, Karen. Thank you, Taryn. Now, Karen, when I first met you, you were a mum to a rambunctious toddler with a head full of gorgeous wild curls. That was yesterday, wasn't it? <laughs> it's more like um, 18 years ago, Taryn. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. That, that It's 18 years. That, well, I think when I saw Hannah, she was a toddler, so maybe a good 16, 16 years yeah. ago. But she's heading out tomorrow on a gap year to go all around the world at 18 years. And you have three more children with very busy lives. It's Indeed. crazy. It is crazy, and um, at the moment, the way I'm dealing with it is I'm not thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's very exciting. I'm excited for Hannah. Um, Sad to see her off, but Mm -hmm. um, very excited um, for what she's going to learn, I think, in these next couple of months. Oh, it's going to be great. Um, but how about we start with your story and we can share stories about kids a little later, but your story in terms of how you came to first meet Jesus, tell us about that. So I was fortunate enough to um, have parents who became Christians when I was probably six years old. So I pretty much grew up in a home where Jesus was um, welcomed and loved My parents, if I think of how they parented us and introduced us to church, um, slightly different, I guess, as they were also learning um, both to parent and to love Jesus, um, to what Hugo and I do, because we had, well, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. And um, I guess one of the challenges of growing up in a Christian home is becoming too familiar Mm. with Jesus and the transition from a a faith that is modeled by your parents um, to a faith that becomes personal is slightly challenging because you grow up thinking you you know Jesus and um, at the ripe old age of 11 I realized in a, a youth service perhaps I don't really know Jesus um, I clearly remember the um, theme of the the sermon that day, and it was all about, um, so I grew up in a Baptist church, sort of fire and brimstone kind mm-hmm. of um, messages or sermons, and I sat there thinking, wow, so if it's true that, they, that you either know Jesus and therefore your future with him is secure, 
and on the other hand you don't know him and therefore your future is not secure where am I and really that was when I made the choice or uh, I think more accurately put where Jesus drew me into a personal relationship with him a lot of my decision I have to admit um, was driven by the fact that I did not want to spend an eternity in hell mm-hmm. um, but over the years, my relationship with Jesus shifted more from what I didn't want to to be um, to what I wanted to be in him. Mm. And yeah, it's been a slow and long journey. I, I often wonder how Jesus has remained patient, so patient with me. <laughs> um, but it's been a wonderful, let's see how long ago that was, 47 years Okay, well, I lie. You lie. I lie. Thirty-seven years. (laughs) Thirty-seven years um, walking, walking with him, and um, it's been um, rough. It's been um, um, it's been pure joy. It's been um, challenging, um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, Yeah, that's how I met Jesus. Somewhere in your story, you met. This tall, handsome man. Yes. You want to tell us about that? <laughs> yes, I love to talk about the tall, handsome man in my life, Hugo. We met at university um, through a student, Christian student organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. And really, that's where my understanding of um, what Jesus had done for me and what it meant to follow him. That's really where it started. Um, you know, as I said, I grew up in church, but a lot of it didn't make sense. And maybe it's because I went to university, started thinking critically, mm. um, being surrounded by thinkers and people who really grappled with what does this mean? What does being Christian mean? Um, that's where this whole, well, where I think I started understanding um, more about the decision I had made, what, eight years prior to that. Um, and that's where I met Hugo. We, I always say that I heard him before <laughs> I, I, I saw him. And um, it's been, we've been married for 24 years this year. And um, it's been a challenging journey it's been a fun-filled journey it's been an adventurous journey and yeah it's been wonderful yeah oh that's great four kids Hannah we've heard about who are your others and tell us a little about them so um, Daniel is our second child and he is uh, 15 Uh, whereas Hannah is our outgoing loud opinionated (laughs) child um Daniel is very thoughtful, very quiet, does have strongly held opinions, but does not share it as readily as Hannah unless prodded. So mm-hmm. I'm still learning how to draw things out of him, but I really enjoy um, conversations with him, um, understanding what he's thinking and how he's come to those conclusions. Mm-hmm. And then our third child is uh, Catherine. She turned 10 in November, lived for the day that she turned 10, (laughs) 
because there are many traditions that kick in when you're 10, including the late, the most recent one, which is you may get your ears pierced. Oh, yes. So she was very excited about that. Catherine is our budding thespian. She okay. loves drama. Um, in fact, she's joining a new drama school, which she's very excited about. And she loves um, reading She's a very interesting little girl, also quite opinionated, and <laughs> unlike her brother, also she, uh, she chooses to share her opinions. Okay, so the girls share so far. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, our fourth child is what we call God's unexpected surprise package. <laughs> he is 14 months younger than Catherine, so in a few days' time he'll turn nine. And he's also a sharer, actually. Okay. Um, so he breaks the mold and uh, loves to talk about what he's learned. He loves reading, loves um, gathering facts and sharing those facts with you, whether you care to listen or not. <laughs> so, yeah, we have a pretty busy, um, chaotic household. But I never thought I'd say this, but I love it. I was... Um, as a young woman, I could not imagine myself having kids. I was quite career-driven and could very easily not have had children. Mm. Um, God had other plans, and I am happy to say that I am so glad he did. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our family. So I think uh, you've just said something here, which I think it might be a nice segue. Um, so are you involved in various ministries? But tell us a little bit more about your... Um, being career-driven and then choosing a different path. What went into that? Mm. Lots of tears, yeah. lots of struggling with God, struggling with myself, um, begging my husband to make the decision for me, which he wisely refused to do. So I, um, just to rewind um, to pre-children, pre-kids, I qualified as a lawyer and um, my plan was to become this hotshot attorney, become independently wealthy, not dependent on a man for anything um, and that was all tied up in just my family background and um, the, the struggles I perceived my parents to go through as, as, as a child. Um, so that that was pretty much the the person Hugo met, um, and I was set on this particular path. Like we were advised to do, we ended up talking about a lot of things before we got married, um, including how many children uh, we wanted. I wanted two, mainly because I realized that as a Christian woman, I can't just make this decision not to have mm. when in, in, once married. And um, much to my surprise and shock, Hugo wanted five. Five. So we compromised, um, and I thought, you know, my legal skills came into play, and we compromised <laughs> on two. Um, I did I say to him, I did say to him that you, you obviously you're free to pray that one of those two yields a set of twins, and you'll be close to your target. Uh, fast forward to five years into marriage, we. Um, Hannah was born and she was uh, quite an introduction to motherhood and I was very glad that we had decided beforehand only two because I don't think I could manage another couple of yeah. Hannahs. 
Daniel was born three years after that. And I thought, hmm, this is easy. <laughs> He's like a textbook baby. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I could go for another one. And it took us five years to conceive Catherine with, mm. a, um, with a miscarriage in between. Mm. And God then graciously blessed us with um, Catherine and then decided to answer all the many prayers that went into Catherine by throwing in a little boy called Jack. And there I was four kids later. And through that process, so probably 10 years from when Hannah was born to when Jack was born, in that time, um, I realized that, you know, we, we get this message as women that you can have everything mm. and you can do anything and be everything exactly yeah. and it it struck me at some point um through sheer the sheer practicality of raising kids and having a career that yes that's true but you have to make very difficult choices along the way mm. and one of the very difficult choices i had to make was um to choose between my career and being an engaged, involved, present mother because my mm -hmm. job required a lot of traveling. At the time, Hugo traveled a lot. Often we would literally cross each other in midair mm -hmm. and, and it became very tricky to be that engaged, present mother. I was very fortunate at the time. My mom, who is now quite old and, and sick, but at the time she was strong enough to support me and often she would travel with me and Hannah to um, facilitate uh, things like breastfeeding and um, mm. when Hannah was very young. The choice to stay at home, giving up my career, was largely driven by the practicalities of my particular situation at the time. I, I, I must admit, um, at times I felt quite pressurized by um, people in my support circle because I felt that Maybe this decision should have been easier. I should have been able to make it on the basis of, well, a good Christian mother should stay home. Mm -hmm. But for me, it wasn't that clear. And, and I really battled with that. Um, I'm very grateful for um, people God sent my way, older, wiser women, that I could have um, really honest, challenging conversations with. And in the end, I concluded that this isn't a case of Generally speaking, what is godly for a yes. woman to do, or Christian woman to do? It was about me. Yes. It was about how God was uh, working with me in my particular situation and whether I was going to be obedient to him mm. um, in this particular situation. It wasn't a pronouncement on every working woman and um, it certainly wasn't a pronouncement on the rest of my um, life. It was where we were at as a family at that stage of our lives and um, what would be the best for our family. Mm. So that's a very long answer to your question. But the, the point is it was a very difficult um, decision. Mm. And, and it, roughly, it took me roughly four to five years to actually be at peace mm. with the decision. And once that happened, and, and it's, you know, that's why I say God's very patient with me, because in my journey with him, this scenario has played out very often. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I tend to be a control freak. I want to organize my life to the nth degree. And in that process, I often leave no space for God. It's become very clear to me over the years that actually the, the best place for me to be 
even in the midst of a storm is his will for me yes. at that point. And so, yeah, that's that's the story of, I don't like using the word balancing, but just um, looking at um, our family needs and mm. my needs as an individual woman um, whom God has gifted with certain gifts um, and and actually have given me in that process responsibilities but my biggest responsibility is to figure out how I am to honor him and obey him. Mm. Now I remember that journey of yours quite well and I just remember being so encouraged and so in awe of what you went through because for me it was super easy I wanted to be home with my kids when I stopped teaching I thought I'd miss it and I didn't it was just really easy transition for me. So to watch you make the decision that you made within the struggle oh. and still choose that was, from my perspective, like I was in massive admiration because it's one thing making a decision when it's easy. It's another thing entirely when it's not. <laughs> sure. it's. Um, I'm always blown away when I'm confronted with the fact that our walk with Jesus and, and in the good times and the bad can be an encouragement to other people. Mm. Um, uh, often Hugo talks about marriage as um, this cosmic stage production where, <laughs> you know, we as Christians in marriage mirror God's relationship with mankind. Mm. And, and, and I think that could be true for a lot of what we, how we live our yeah. lives as Christians. Um, I mean, it's obviously um, quite daunting to think about that. And and especially for me being, I, I'm, I'm quite a private person. And, and it's, that's, that's another aspect of my journey um, with Jesus where I've learned, you know, that he's put us in this wonderful family of believers mm. and we are meant to live life together the good and the bad yeah. and yeah. what a privilege that is to be vulnerable to be honest to be yes. open yes warts and all yes yeah I find it <laughs> I find maybe the scariest part is when you when people do see the warts and all and still find you encouraging <laughs> or you yes. know still want to hang around with you yes. that's that's super encouraging yeah yeah um ministry so you've been involved in lots of ministries and what are you currently involved in so Hugo and I, in, in terms of our church involvement, our church ministry, um, we've always loved um, the family ministry context. More particularly, we've been involved in both marriage enrichment courses that the church has run over the years, and more recently, pre-marriage counseling. I particularly like um, pre-marriage counseling because it puts us in contact with younger people. Yeah at a very exciting time of their lives and it makes us feel so much younger yes um, talking about marriage and weddings and but more um, particularly what's what's drawn us to that that ministry is very briefly both Hugo and I did not have the greatest role models in marriage um, I, I grew up in a in a Christian home but my parents um, really battled in their marriage and at times it was quite rough Hugo grew up in a family that didn't go to church and his parents, to say they struggled, puts it mildly, they, he had a really rough childhood mm -hmm. um, in terms of watching his parents struggle through their relationship. And 
So we went into marriage knowing that we knew nothing or, or what we knew was damaging. And both of us being people who love, well, I, th- I describe ourselves as eternal students. Okay. So we took to the books and <laughs> read everything we could um, about Christian marriage. That's unusual for both the husband and the wife to do that. Usually it's one or the other. So that's pretty cool. Well, Hugo um, reads a lot slower than me. So he often relied on my praises. Okay. <laughs> he was, he, the point is we were both aware that yeah. we needed to learn how to do this. The other, the very helpful thing was to surround ourselves with older married yes. couples and, and one couple springs to mind. We met them through the church that we were then attending and they committed to spending every Friday um, with Hugo and myself once we got engaged and um, we didn't follow a particular curriculum or program. They just said to us, you can ask us anything. Oh, wow. And um, we, we chuckled to this day because we don't really remember what we discussed. All we knew was here was this couple. They'd been married for seven years. They were clearly still in love. And they were willing to share their time, their home, their space, their food with us. And um, and more importantly, share their learnings and their yeah. failures and their successes with us. And that really spoke to us. So when we were approached by our the church that we, we currently serve at, we were, yes, this is this is what we want to do. We can do mm. it together. We can do it in our home. And we can pay it forward. Yeah. And so it's been oh, just wonderful being able to do that. Mm. And the great thing is that we learn with every new couple. Mm. We learn and we're challenged. And we have to read those verses again. And we have to measure ourselves against God's standards. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been good. That's so true about the, you know, with somebody else, it does reflect back and you can't, yes. you can't be hiding, no. you can't be pretending, yes. yeah, it's, it's raw and real. Yeah. So that's your ministry together. Any other ministries that you're involved in on your own or with other people? About four, five years ago, in conversation with a good friend of mine, we happened upon this idea of starting a mentoring program for young women in disadvantaged communities. I can say that um, quite succinctly because we've been doing this for five years. At the time, it was just this muddled um, notion of we want to give back. We want to, we see this need among young people, young women um, living on, we call it the Cape Flats, but it's really just this um, set of communities on the outskirts of Cape Town where there's this pervasive hopelessness, this, this feeling of we can't go anywhere. We can't reach anything. And we, you know, we are fairly distanced from from yes. the day-to-day realities of, of these girls. Even though, I must say, I grew up in a very similar community, but I had the support of my nuclear family. I had a church uh, family, whereas many of these girls don't have those mm-hmm. um, uh, support structures in place. So similar similar backgrounds, but very different context I think Um, so when I look at these goals that we work with currently I in a way see myself as a teenager but I'm digressing so Haley and myself we've been friends for 12 years 20 years sorry almost and we had similar concerns but coming from very different angles so Haley's background is um, HR human resource management and she often would interview these um, young people and would would desperately want to offer them a, an, an entry level job, but they were not ready. 
the interview skills were lacking because of the client-facing nature of the job they were interviewing with. There were etiquette uh, issues and, and she just felt so helpless in wanting to give them a job but not being able to offer them something. And uh, I came at it from a different angle, but together we realized, hey, this isn't because these kids have nothing to give or are stupid or um, will amount to nothing, which is sadly to say generally how children from these communities are viewed by mm. the greater public. Um, our conclusion was that they have had to overcome yes. a lot in life to even get to the point where they could be interviewed. Many of them have seen trauma that we can't even imagine and the least of their concerns is etiquette. For them, yeah. it's a survival game, literally every day. Yeah. And uh, we sat there with this knowledge and we thought, okay, we could moan about it or we can try and do something about it. And what ensued was roughly 18 months of um, our research phase where we just spoke to anybody who cared to speak with us, um, people in the NGO sector, in education, people from the community and just to build a picture of what is it that gets young people to this kind of stage of hopelessness and in fact not just young people but entire communities. At the end of that uh, research process we decided to launch a three-month mentoring um, stroke finishing school type of um, course uh, aimed at ladies between the ages of 19 and 24, so unemployed ladies whom hopefully we could um, mentor to the stage where they could be employed. I laugh when I think about that now because mm -hmm. three months, um, I don't know what we were thinking um, <laughs> that we, we could achieve in three months. So we ran that program for roughly a year, at the end of which we decided or actually was forced to conclude that this is not working. We had nobody signed up for the beginning of the following year. We had nowhere else to turn um, to find possible candidates. And we then went back to the drawing board. And that's when we started thinking about taking the program into schools and developing a three-year uh, mentoring program uh, where we focus on things like self-awareness. Funny enough, in our, in our research phase, whether we spoke to companies, whether we spoke to NGOs, whether we spoke to schools, the conclusion was that these young people do not have the space to figure out who they are mm. and and what they want. So, so, so who they who they are. How do you answer the question? What do I want to do after school? If you don't know who you are and what talents, what gifts uh, you've been given, what um, what you like, what you don't like. So, we then launched this three-year program at a school in one of these communities, and we started off with six girls. By the end of that year, three of them had. had dropped out, which is a huge problem in the school system as well, dropouts. And last year, which is four years after the program started, we ended the year with 33 girls, uh -huh. um, five of them matriculated. and Matriculated meaning they finished their senior year. That's correct. And we'll be doing various other things. So yeah, that is what I am involved in outside the home. 33 girls. And what are some of their hopes and desires? Have they got some of those things in line? 
So the um, graduates, the ICU program graduates, um, I'll talk about them first. One of the girls always showed a keen interest in teaching since the day we met her and ran our first workshop. And on Monday, she started a learnership um, at a school with, in a, as she puts it, this is a very different school to where I schooled Miss, and she was very, very nervous about it, but we are so excited for her. So this is a three-year program where you learn on the job, as well as uh, you are studying through UNISA, which is our distance learning university. Uh, So she will be studying a bachelor's in education whilst working at the school. I think that is possibly the best way to learn how to teach, actually. (laughs) So what a wonderful, wonderful experience for this young lady. I cannot tell you how proud we are of Ashika. Um, she has, throughout this three year, these three years with us, she has shown incredible grit, determination, despite a really tough home environment, um, which we, funnily enough, only heard about in matric. She's a very quiet girl, and we only really learned through one of our mentors who knows her that her home situation is unbelievably difficult mm. um, so she yeah we're very proud of her um, fabulous. one of the other um, young ladies who've just graduated um, from the program and finished matric she has been offered a learnership as a paralegal so she is keen to pursue a, a career in law but she's not ready for university, so her plan is to do this course. It's, it's actually an in-house course with a law firm, um, work there for a while, and then if this is really what she wants to do, she will then pay her way through university. So that's Through working matters. through this company? or she? Yeah, I think okay. she will continue. So the plan at the moment is, uh, I, I always laugh because I say to the girls, you know, you must have a plan, but you must be flexible enough for that plan to change, which they are very afraid of because they don't have the latitude yes. a child like my Hannah has, where there are safety nets, there are resources available. Yeah. These kids have nothing. Their parents can't pay for their transport mm-hmm. to the learnership. So... Um, they feel the urgency of making the right decision. Yes. And and whilst we we can see why one of our we feel that one of the ways we can support them is just to say you you don't have to make the perfect decision. You mm. just have to keep moving. And the road is littered with detours, but those detours often is where you learn. Yes. That's where you learn. Yes. And um, so it's hard for them to, to come to this conclusion because they've grown up with this idea that, you know, you've, you only have one chance. It's a linear. Yes. Very linear. Yes. Yes. Word. Yeah. So that's the plan at the moment for Kelsey. But who knows, you know, yeah. and, and I'm just, we are just very, very grateful that these girls have shown the perseverance and the determination to make those decisions because the, the reality is, Taryn, that many of their classmates have no clue what they'll be doing this year and the reality is that they'll probably end up just sitting at home falling pregnant and being drawn into all sorts of activities that that is just not um taking them anywhere yeah Yeah. to a healthy life and all that you mentioned the name of this program tell us a little bit more about that why you've called it icu icu 
So both Haley and I love words. We're quite wordy. Both of us have a legal background. Haley also studied law. And so we are driven by words and their meanings. And so after our first three-month course, we did a feedback session with the ladies who were on our course. And these were ladies um, older than the girls we currently work with. But we're very grateful for what we learned in, in those um, three or four courses we ran, we ran in 2014. So in this feedback session, um, what drove both Haley and myself to tears, and I'm easily driven to tears, but, but that I feel was worth the tears. Um, she sat across the table from us and she, and she spoke about the personality assessment we facilitated for them. So it was an online um, course that, or personality assessment that we came across and they took it in one of the sessions and the report was generated and she sat with this report. She came to the feedback session with this report and she looked at it and she said to us, in these three months, and with particular reference to the, the assessment, she has never felt as understood and seen and heard as she had felt in this context. And we unpacked that a little bit. And what struck both Haley and myself is that these ladies, and I think it's true for the vast majority of people in these communities that, I'm that we work in and, and we've been talking about, they, many people feel unseen, unheard, that they will amount to nothing, that they have nothing to give, that they have no value, that they have no worth. And it was, it was amazing. Our, our journey with ICU has been littered with God moments. Um, the opportunities we've been afforded, things, people that have come to us to assist us. And this was another God moment. Both Haley and I walked out there and we had been struggling to find a name. We'd been operating without a name for months. And we looked at each other. I mean, we didn't have the exact words, but we knew that our name needed to communicate that you are seen, you are valued, you have worth, you have value. So we played around with it with the help of, of a very uh, clever marketing um, friend of ours and ICU was born. And your logo is a mirror as well? Too. Yes, our logo is a mirror. Uh, inside the mirror, the words ICU and it reminds us that each person has value and worth. Everybody, yeah. as they look at themselves in the mirror, needs to know that they are valued. And that means that we our responsibility is to reflect that value and worth back to them because mm. you start off with young people, young ladies who you can see it as we gather for the first time in grade 10. They do not value themselves. Mm. They do not know themselves. They feel like they have nothing to give. Mm. And our responsibility in those early days is to help them find that value and worth inside of them. So our, our mantra is, by the mere fact of being created by God, mm. you have value. And so that mirror logo reminds us that, you know, in the, in the, during the difficult times when we, all we want to do is run away, that's what keeps us going. This mm. is why ICU exists. Mm. Listening to you, I keep thinking 10 years from now, 20 years from now, where those girls are going to be. <sighs> Like, how exciting. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure some of them are going to be standing on some podium someday, going to say, well, it all started back when I was in grade 10 and this program came along. And, and that'll be absolutely awesome, especially if they are paying it forward as well. Yeah, I think um, that's what keeps Haley and I going through, you know, when we're faced with the challenges of running a program like this. And the, the challenges are legion. They are... Um, 
uh, funding challenges, there is programmatic challenges, there's the boundaries issue, you know, it's, it's very difficult to separate yourself from, from these girls and their circumstances. And so there are oodles of challenges, but um, what keeps us going is, is exactly that vision. And we have to remind ourselves constantly that, um, you know, from the, from the start, we've said to ourselves, this is not about numbers. This mm. cannot be about numbers. Because if you are going to address the kind of challenges that these girls face, You've got to go deep yes. um, and you've got to be committed to walking this very hard road with them. And, you, you know, you can't do that with hundreds of, of people. Um, earlier on, we were discussing um, models for growth um, of the program. And, and that's what we're currently struggling with. But at the core, we focus on the individual. And our deepest desire for these girls when they leave the program, so like our five graduates uh, of 2018, our desire is that they, through um, having walked this road with us, will, um, whether they come back to ICU or not, um, but wherever they find themselves, that they will be able to build into somebody else's life yeah. and, and in that way pay it forward. But on another level, you know, working with the individual, it's, you're not just working with the individual. You're working with their parents, their guardians, their yes. families that they are um, growing up in. And so we have a bit of contact with the parents. But actually, it's more about this child becoming a model to an otherwise hopeless family unit. Yes. Where often the parents aren't working, the parents aren't drugs, um, the siblings, you know, that's all they see. But hopefully, um, by God's grace, these girls will become role models in their families, in their communities. And my dream is actually that you start a little revolution in that street, in that little block, in that run-down flat or yes. apartment block where these girls become role models. Yeah, that'll be amazing. Karen, tell me also, it's not an overtly Christian organization, but very much built on Christian values. Gospel opportunities, have you had those? Any girls come to know the Lord through this? So the gospel opportunities are everywhere. Our mentors, so the ladies who have volunteered their time, their resources, um, who meet with these girls on a weekly basis, they report back on all these amazing opportunities that, that come through. So, so because we work in a school, sorry, I have to, I have to backtrack and okay. sketch the context. Because we work in a, in a school context, we have to be very careful about promoting religion and you know, even though it's not closely monitored, we, we do want to respect the, the the rules of the education system, so to speak. Yeah. And so our curriculum, our sessions are, for instance, not based on a particular verse for the day or anything like that. But the exciting thing is because it's a mentoring model, mentoring means at its very core, sharing life, doing yes. life. Me sharing with you how I do life, you sharing with me how we do life, and then doing life together. And for our mentors, there's just so many opportunities to share about, because these girls are, you know, they're clever. They're switched on. They ask, sometimes I'm taken aback by the questions they ask you. So one of the questions we often get asked is, 
how do we do this? Why do we do this? Especially when they find out that we, both Haley and I, are lawyers by training, and they are just starting out on this journey of discovering that they, you know, they could also be a lawyer. For, for mm. many of them, that's not even in their frame of reference. Mm. And then suddenly they do their psychometric assessments, and, and it comes up with, oh, you would be, you would do well in this context or that context. So they often ask us, so why did we decide to do this? Because they know we, you know, it's a volunteer yeah. situation. We're not paid or anything, and um, that's when we start to be able to share with them why we do this and some with some goals they will pursue it other goals will just I mean it's just information gathering but who knows who knows and there we know of at least one goal so so in Cape Town there are as you would know but maybe our listeners don't there is a very large Muslim community Mm. and in the communities we work um, it's sort of 50-50 the split between Muslims and and, um, nominal Christians. Mm. And we've had one of the girls who, very um, complicated situation, her father is Muslim and her mom is a Christian. And she last year decided to cut ties with her dad and go and live with her mother. And it was because of her convictions mm. and it was for our mentors or, or the two mentors involved with this group it was such an amazing opportunity to support her and um, for her to know that there were women praying for her and yeah. we sent it out to our, our prayer network and because our work is really very much dependent on people's prayer support yes. and there's just so many often I you know I come from a um, from a session and I sit there uh, SOS um, yes. sharing uh, requests with our prayer group so not overtly Christian but no lack of opportunity yeah. to share Christ and um, share the gospel share the gospel I imagine from from just listening to you that there'll probably be people out there going well this sounds amazing I'd love to tap into it I'd love to be involved in some way how can people be involved from across the ocean um so the first thing like I mentioned we I I can't stress the need for prayer I can't Mm. stress that more um you know often we feel quite under attack um, the very communities we work in, I mean, I remember, so at the moment we are in two, two communities, um, Haderfeld and Hanover Park, which may mean nothing to your listeners, but um, that's where we're at, two high schools. And, um, and I remember driving into um, Hanover Park, which is a deeply gang-ridden area and drug-infested area. And I remember driving in and actually feeling this heaviness, this oppression. I mean, I still I still get quite teary when I think of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Haley and I and our mentors are very aware that, you know, our enemy is not the drug lords and the um, gangsters. And our enemy is the one who does not want Jesus to reign. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, for, for us, prayer is central, foundational to the, the work we do. And and so that, I, I would imagine, is something that your listeners in Australia could very 
easily support us mm. with. And we have a prayer group. One of our mentors volunteered to be the prayer liaison and she draws up a, a quarterly prayer letter which she sends out to the ladies in our prayer group. And then when we have special requests, you know, she'll either WhatsApp or email them um, individually. So that's one area that I think is quite easy um, for people to, to uh, join forces with ICU, mm. join forces with Jesus as ICU takes um, this message into these communities. And then, because this is my portfolio, um, I never thought that I would enjoy fundraising. I remember as a student in Campus Crusade going on mission trips and having to raise these ridiculous amounts. And I used to say to you, I, I can't, I can't ask people for money. Mm. And here I am 20 odd years later and, and I'm enjoying this aspect of the job. So I just sort of fell into it. Haley is very creative. So she's taken responsibility for the curriculum and together we do marketing, but I focus on fundraising and, um, you know, the program doesn't run on fumes and love yeah. and Fresh air. <laughs> it needs all of that. But uh, we are always on the lookout for people who are willing to support us financially. Mm. Both Haley and I, you know, see this as a way that we can plow back into communities we've come from. But the reality is that, you know, we have to contribute um, to our families and um, we've got one other a lady on the payroll and we are I mean we are so blessed by just the number of people who have volunteered their time their services most of our workshop facilitators so the lady who runs our drama workshop um, the lady who does our um, study skills workshop um, the photographer who runs photography workshops for us They've all, in some way or another, donated their time, resources, skills. That's great. And we are blown away by that. But then there are other financial needs, like every month, or sorry, every term, we have these six to eight sessions, face-to-face -face sessions with the girls. And because you don't want to bore these teenagers, and they're so used to being stimulated all the time, We've had to come up with quite a engaging program, which involves crafting. It involves all sorts of things that cost money. Um, mm. We take them on outings. So, you know, from the program side of things, there's always a need for, yeah, for people to support the program, support mm. the girls as we introduce them to new opportunities. Um, one of the things that saddens me is, you know, these girls live literally... 15 to 20 minutes from um, beautiful touristy spots like Kirstenbosch. Um, they live close to um, Rhodes Memorial, which is actually free. You can walk, mm. you can walk in without paying. But they've never set foot on the mountain. They've never set foot in Kirstenbosch because it's still they still need to get there, and yes. transport's often yeah. a huge stumbling block so those are the sorts of outings we take them on so that they can see their beautiful city um, and again it's that it's that idea of seeing um, so often when I drive back from Heidefeld and I have Table Mountain in view on the highway I think to myself you know depending on where you are in Cape Town that mountain that beautiful spot which for me speaks of opportunity speaks of beauty speaks of God's amazing creativity I I see it every day. I mean, I, I, I can walk uh, to, to a, a, a place like Rhodes Memorial and, and the mountain is right there. It's a reality. 
um, for these girls, they see that often through a, a haze, you know, that haze that engulfs the city, mm. the smog and the whatever. And for them, that mountain isn't as real as it is to me and mm. people like me who live close to it. It's almost unattainable. It's unattainable. Yeah. And that's how they view many of the opportunities that we take for granted. Our kids take for granted. I mean, my daughter finished matric with five of, uh, of our mentees and for her, literally, the world is her oyster. She's going off to Myanmar tomorrow. For these girls, Table Mountain, which is right there in their city, is like, it's unattainable. Mm. The opportunities we see and we want to introduce them to, they don't even know about that. Mm. And so, I mean, that's a long uh, a preamble to um, the fact that we want to give them opportunities to see what's around mm. and to experience what we take for granted mm. and and a lot of my, money it all costs money but you know I have actually learned over this year I never thought I'd say this I love challenging people yeah. to part with what God has given them yeah. because that's the, the key lesson I've learned um, in this process you know I'm not asking I'm not asking you to um, be I am asking you to part with money that you've earned hard-earned mm. money but actually, everything we have as Christians, we say we believe this, but do yes. we actually believe yes. it? Everything we have, the job that we work hard at, the ability to arrive healthy every morning to do that job, that's God-given. And so from that perspective, it's become a lot easier for me to yeah. ask people to support us in some way or another. So that's another way, you know, we can, we can think about. And just the reward in doing so, knowing that you're helping this this program and seeing you know the seeds that are sown and the gospel opportunities that absolutely. are sown absolutely absolutely and if you are so far away that you can't physically be involved to to be able to be involved in this way it's just another wonderful it is another wonderful opportunity yeah. and you know we live in in an era where um, we've got. Uh, social media yes. you know we have a Facebook page so you can log on you can see what the girls are doing we uh, both Haley and I joke about the fact that we are technically really disadvantaged we yeah. you know, or, or we, we we're not technically inclined but we have wonderful people who have offered their services so there are a couple of videos um, on our Facebook page um, and on our website as well where you can see what the girls are up to and and in that way feel more connected to if you do decide to support us um, financially mm -hmm. you, you know you feel more connected to the outcomes and and you can see these beautiful girls blossoming yeah so yeah well that's exciting anything else on your radar at the moment oh um, how much time do we have? <laughs> So I'll start off by linking it to my work at ICU. Um, so one of the catalysts for this, um, me starting to think about how do I, how do I connect young women in these um, communities to opportunities? Because that's for me, that's a driving force. For hey, it's quite interesting how we have the same vision, but often the driving force is quite different. And mm. I love that because we, it means we are thinking about things differently, but but towards the same goal. So one of my driving forces is this idea of bridging. Um, and it comes from a conversation I had with a, a, a good friend of mine that I walk with often. And, you know, I always marvel at how God uses people. Um, my good friend is not a Christian, but he has used um, her in so many ways to encourage me in my walk. And, and in this instance, 
develop this vision for ICU. So I remember walking with her one day and and sort of we were chatting about, um, at the time I was really battling with this idea of straddling communities. So I come from a particular community. I now live and, and my kids school in a particular community, which is very different to the one I grew up in. And, um, you know, part of many different communities and sometimes, you know, feeling quite alienated um, from uh, and, and, and separated from communities that I, I straddle. Mm. And she... She said that is a beautiful opportunity to, uh, or an ideal opportunity to be a bridge between those communities. And that stuck with me. Um, and, and I must say this idea of bridge building um, has, it's grown as ICU has grown. As I look at, um, so, so the original question is what is, what is on my heart? Mm. Um, as I look at where we are uh, today as a country, um, this idea of bridge building has just, it's played itself over and over and over in my head and my heart because I, I am quite saddened by the chasms between communities. Um, mm. And, you know, I can, I, I can talk f- forever about this, but, but, the, but, but what really... What strikes me is that we need to walk across these bridges we build so that we can meet in the middle and mm. and we can learn about each other. We can listen to each other's stories. We can share. And, and in that, I think we will realize that actually we're not that different. I, I always maintain that the success of apartheid was separating people mm. to the extent that in a very real sense, people fear each other. Yeah. And, and that engenders all sorts of other negative yeah. emotions and responses and stereotypes. And, you know, 20 odd years after um, um, democracy, the dawn of democracy in South Africa, I think those fears, those divisions are still very real. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, in different ways... We've used ICU as a bridge builder. Mm. So we are very um, intentional about um, recruiting our mentors from communities that would probably never enter or set foot in in a community like Hanover Park or Heidevelt. They'd never regularly meet with girls from these communities. These communities are only known to them well, not all of them, because there's a wide array of ladies, but certain members of our team only interface with these communities via the newspaper, via yeah. the media, via the negative um, yeah. news reports that come out of these. Of these. And, and real stuff. I mean, obviously, mm. the, the crime is real. Drug trafficking is real. Everything that they the hear poverty. is true, but that's yeah. not the full story. Mm. Um, there are people behind those stories that are now real to our mentors. Mm. And, and the beautiful thing about this sort of relationship is that you realize, you know, it's not a kind of I'll teach you something yes. relationship. It is a, about walking together, doing life together. Mm. And the stories we hear from our mentees, we meet with them regularly um, for feedback sessions and training, um, is our stories of being encouraged, stories of learning from these young women 
um, stories of starting to understand what it means when a child from the Cape Flats manages to matriculate. You know, we take it for granted because we give our kids all these opportunities and they get all the support they need, whereas these kids are literally out on their own. So for them to get to matric and pass, it says something about themselves. And these mm -hmm. ladies are now starting to understand that. Mm -hmm. So that's one way of building bridges. The other way, um, and, and this is a, a day on our calendar that I absolutely love. It's like when everything I love or most things that I love come together. So I love a good party. I love... <laughs> um, I love preparing for gatherings and gathering people from all sorts. I mean, my kids joke about it, you know. Uh, my house is like the, or our house is like the gathering spot for family gatherings mm. and all sorts. So I've managed to introduce that to ICU as well. So we run this day in August in Women's Month. We called it our Connect event. And we've been so blessed. Um, the Vineyard Hotel, which you will know, yes. iconic in Cape Town, they've offered a, a venue every year that's, uh, that we've been running this program. So we, are, we get it free of charge. And we put on this, um, I think it's amazing, but this <laughs> event. And we gather people from all different walks of life that are in both Haley and my circle of either friends, um, they've become friends of ICU, acquaintances we've met along the way, people from high-flying companies, NGOs, and then of course people, our, our girls from these communities. And we have this day or morning uh, centered around a particular theme and the girls get introduced to coming to this beautiful restaurant. Many of them have never set foot in, in, in a um, restaurant, let alone a hotel um, of this nature. So that for me is, as it's, uh, we've named it the, our Connect event, and that's another way of building bridges between mm -hmm. communities where ladies literally spend four hours in, uh, on, a, any, on that morning. They spend um, around a particular theme, and, and our goal is for our girls to start connecting mm -hmm. with these ladies that probably would never rub shoulders with them in any other context. In that way, you start breaking down stereotypes. We've been blown away by just the level of confidence that some of our girls have displayed. Uh, often we have 70-odd guests and then our, our mentees and mentors as well. And some of them will take, you know, they'll take hold of the mic and they'll share their views. And these are girls who, when we met them, some of them were hardly able to speak in a group of eight. Wow. So let alone know what their opinions are about anything, um, mm. literally. So, you know, that's also, I love the opportunity that ICU affords us, um, but me in particular, because it is a passion of mine to start breaking down these divides, start mm. building these bridges where, where women get opportunities to tell their stories and through their storytelling connect with each other in a way that I think is very difficult um, in, in our city and in our mm. country. I, I love that. I often feel quite despondent about the divides that you talk about. And so it's almost safer to be suspicious of one another That's right. than it is to start walking this. Because you bridge building, you're walking on yeah. a bridge that hasn't even really been built properly yet. That's correct. With every step you take, that's how the bridge gets built. built. So yeah. it, it is a very uncomfortable place to be. But, yeah. but in my mind, it's one of the few ways that we can actually start addressing this yes. issue.
20 years time, I cannot wait to see how things have developed and grown and, and how many bridges they're going to be. By it's God's so grace, Darren. Absolutely. By God's grace. <laughs> Absolutely. We're kind of running out of time now. So um, last question, what's keeping you standing firm and growing as a Christian at the moment? So 2018 was a year of turmoil on many fronts. Um, just very briefly, I, my aging mother lives with us and she, a couple of years ago, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And in the last 18 months, it's, it, she's really regressed. That's been a huge source of turmoil, sadness, stress, anxiety for me um, and, and members of my family. That, together with the changing dynamic of a daughter who, for the whole of 2018, really was readying herself to leave home in some shape or form. I'm, you know, she's, she, she has threatened that she will come back after this year. But just that shift in mindset, mm -hmm. you know, how do we now parent in this new phase? the stress of having a child in matric and she had additional responsibilities at her school and 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 dealing with real life issues like one of her very good friends passed away at the end of 2017 mm. so mothering Hannah through grief you know it was something I it wasn't on my radar so 2018 was a year of turmoil and and I'd venture to say in my construct chaotic it was mm. a chaotic year and I don't do well in chaos um, if you know anything about me you know that I pride myself on being organized mm. and you know my schedule and my lists are th those are my anchors in yeah, a way. your safety net exactly yeah. 2018 was a year where and and again I mean I chuckle because I see how God has has sent these very clear messages you know over the past however many years I've walked with him and he's so patient with this mm. child of his you know I don't <laughs> learn those lessons yes. and then 2018 strikes and I realize mm. I'm surrounded by chaos and there's nothing I can do about it and that realization has been so liberating because it's in that place that I realized actually who am I kidding I was never in control yes <laughs> <laughs> you know God is and that's the beauty of being in relationship with creator God mm. um, he he's in control he's got this you know I'm still as I sit here today you know I had a, a quite a emotional day yesterday and and just this morning I thought Okay, here we go again. Just relearn this lesson. And that is where I'm learning at the mm. moment. That's where I'm, where I'm kind of parking. I got this book from a friend uh, last year on meditations mm. on, on Psalm 27. And it's all about where do we go when life is chaotic? That has really kept me going mm. last year. Just finding that quiet space and you know you know my household it's it's not easy to find that quiet space and often that quiet space has to be my headspace and not the physical surroundings yeah. but finding the the space to just consider and meditate on the truth that God is in control and that he has he's got me he's got Hannah he's got uh, my mom you know, he's, he's holding all of this that for me seems so overwhelming. Mm. And that's where I'm doing a lot of my learning at yeah. the moment. Learning to rest in him and yes. trust him. I think that's a lesson you're going to be learning for the rest of your life. <laughs> as am so. I. <laughs> I, as I often come to that, that place where I think, okay, maybe now I've learned the lesson. Yes. And then somebody yes. else comes along to go, no, you haven't. You yeah. need more practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and you know, in a very real way, 
that is the point because it's at that point when I realize, you know, I, I can't do this on my own. Mm. Um, no matter how much I kid myself and mm. how many support structures I put in place, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. And that sends me right back to God. And just to the foot of the cross and going, even the most capable human being cannot save ourselves. Yes. We yes. can't even cope with a chaotic day. Exactly. Never mind save exactly. ourselves from, for eternity exactly. to be with you. So, yeah, the chaos exactly. is, just points us back to the cross each and every time. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Well, I've loved talking to you. I have a gazillion more questions for you. Um, <laughs> I've loved chatting popping with you. up and all of that. So, but yeah, we, we have limited time here. I think what would be nice is to, to share with the listeners via the um, description all the links to the things that you've been talking about and they can get in contact with you, I suppose, or Haley. Yeah. If they want to be involved with ICU or have questions or ideas or suggestions or prayers they want to share absolutely we would love to hear from um your listeners we um there's nothing Haley and i enjoy more than doing coffee so unfortunately we can't do coffee physically but we can sit with our cup of coffee do you know facetime anybody who's keen but you can connect with us via our website which is you'll find us at www.iseeu.org and via our website you'll be able to connect um, to our Facebook page as well um, then if you want to drop us an email you can do so at info info at i-s-e-e-u dot o-r-g dot z-a fabulous thank you so much Karen it's been great I love it thank you Taryn for the privilege and opportunity to speak I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have and I also hope that you have been inspired to consider contributing in some way to support the ICU organization. Um, If you've been listening and haven't managed to grab a pen in time to jot anything down, don't worry. If you head over to our Facebook page or over to the Gospel Coalition Australia page where we're at, at TLPCWCW, all the show notes and links to the things that have been discussed in this episode you can find there.